Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. There are so many amazing free plugins available for download right now to help you with your production and mixing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash plugins to download and get access to a bunch of free and premium plugins on Plugin Boutique. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Mix of Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lucently Married Lou. Lucently Married Lou. <laughs> I'll take it. Lucently yeah. Married, dude. But yeah, it was uh, it was on Saturday, so June 10th. June 10th. And how does it feel? Uh, not much, to be honest. I, I don't know. Tell me. Tell me. Does it feel different? Do you look at Anna differently? I'll say it like this. Me and Anna have uh, told people that we're husband and wife for the longest. Uh, so the way we see each other, not necessarily a different view, but uh, I will say this. I think there is a huge difference between telling somebody that somebody is your wife or husband and them actually being that. And your viewpoint behind that statement is is definitely different once you're married. Uh, for instance, uh, you could say like, oh yeah, she's going to be my wife. Oh yeah, we're going to get married. Uh, that's, that's all promises, good and fine. Um, but when you actually commit to somebody, there's a different mindset behind, you know? For sure. Like, um, there's definitely some really great feeling about telling the truth. And that kind of like insinuates, I'm not saying that you were, well, it wasn't malicious at all. Nobody cares, right? Yeah. But like uh, coming from going from like, oh, we're basically married to we now we are. officially are. Yeah, that definitely yeah. feels better. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because you also don't say, oh, that's my girlfriend. That's not my fiance. That's my wife. And now, you know? now is the threshold where I start to care, meaning that you have, you are legally bound by God and the law to this woman. Oh, yeah. 
So if I love Anna, and mm-hmm. it would have been like a dickish move, but if you cheated on her two <laughs> weeks ago, I would have cared significantly less than today. Than today. <laughs> or if she cheated on you, I would have cared significantly less than yeah, today. Yeah, it's like, you know, you, there's no risk in that, right? Now mm. you are legally bound and bound by God. Because oh, you yeah. did it in a church too, right? Actually, no. Oh wait, you said I thought something about like there was like a like a house chapel kind of thing. Oh, uh, you okay, know? okay, cool, cool, cool. Like it's uh, one of those. Um, it, it's kind of funny how we found this. Um, so uh, we had been talking about getting married and just getting everything done. We had already like filed for our marriage license and everything. We had like to wait. Like I think it was like three weeks to get it and then somehow i managed to get like an earlier date but it was still too late for like this whole baptism thing that we were kind of planning and all that but um even though the baptism had passed i'm like you know you know i'm still all about this like i'm trying to get married now um and my sister sent me a link that uh, this uh spot was reopening it had closed during the pandemic and then it reopened in highland park like two blocks away from my family's business and they had posted in the eagle rock group that they were going to be doing free um weddings uh, from two to eight on June 10th. Oh, that's funny. Like, yeah. So, uh, we looked at each other like free and my sister's like, you know, it's going to cost like five, 600 bucks, no matter where you go. We're like, what? Yeah. Then once we thought about it, we're like, it kind of would be cool to just go and have like this very small wedding. And sure enough, it was exactly that. It was just me, Anna, my sister, uh, my nephew, Aiden, and my niece, uh, Itzkali. That's super interesting. Yeah. So in America, this is um, specific to America, even in the state of California, by the way, yeah, congratulations, Lou, big Thank time. You. Yeah. But even in the state of California, very liberal state, um, yeah, it looks like your marriage license is required uh, mm-hmm. to be authorized by a wedding officiant, an, yep. an ordained minister, pastor, priest, reverend, or judge. Or justice of the peace. So it doesn't have to be necessarily religiously correlated, but it has yep. to be signed by someone um, that is in charge in like the government office about like who's who's authorized to allow to marry people. Yep. So I mean, I, when I got married in the state, so I got I got married twice, once in Japan, and then we had to redo the marriage in the state, which like my pastor guy just um just signed the paper we didn't even do a ceremony or anything he just like well, we were in his office like dude you already got married and then just signed it yeah um but anyway in in texas it was like a super big deal it had to be done i thought there was a couple states out there that um that require like a church because in japan i mean where it's like super not religious at all like mm-hmm. not even like formerly christian right yeah um yeah you literally walk into the state office or like the county office and you leave married yeah, see, honestly like speaking, no ceremony. the ceremony is like, it's like the necessity equivalent of a birthday party. You don't need to have a birthday party. And it was kind of funny because like, uh, I think me and Anna kind of undersold how little we wanted the the process of the marriage to be. Um, because uh, talking to my mom, she's like, oh, why don't you rent this place? Why don't you rent this place? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And only invite the people you want and this and that. And I was like, how do I tell my mom I want nobody? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Not, not to be mean or anything, but like, you know, um, I've seen people spend so much money on a wedding and it's not really Anna and I's style. <laughs> so we really wanted to keep it that small. No, I had, so, a, I had a small wedding too. I really recommend it, especially, yeah, dude. Yeah. Especially when getting married young. 
Like or it, like, don't let your parents pay for that. Oh, I know. Never, never mind. I mean, I keep that opinion to myself. I no, I like, I uh, like, but I mean, like, it's something beautiful about a small wedding, a small quaint wedding, and not a a wedding shouldn't be a place where you flex how much your family's making. Yeah, and this is what happened last night. Oh, amazing! But look at what it says. <laughs> TFTI asshole. What's, what's TFTI? <laughs> Thanks for the invite. <laughs> that was my my sister said hey Good. you should make reservations at the restaurant i so, work at so and lou lou was like one <laughs> you were one step away from eloping basically yeah literally just one, just one person away from eloping yeah there you go well congratulations thank you and let's get into this episode about adding dimension to your vocals wow what a transition from from Lou being married to adding dimension to your vocals, and uh, we're going to talk about how to do... the relationship of the mix. <laughs> there you go, and we're going to talk <laughs> exactly about that. Um, and let's first talk about dimension and why that's important. We've talked about dimension a few different times. I don't know if we've ever talked about it specifically for vocals, uh, but dimension is important. I've. <clears throat> It's really weird. Like usually, dimension is like one or all three of three categories, which is uh, depth, front to back depth, left to side width, and up and down length, tallness, I, height, height. That's the way. I, I like to think of like the height side as like the frequency spectrum. Part yeah, of yeah, things. yeah, yeah. So typically, height is like frequency frequency spectrum, and that's kind of like what it's compared to. Depth is is it's a feeling. That's it's like that's dynamics it feeling. Yeah, we've we've ta- we've had an episode in the past about what makes depth, and then width is usually like panning and stereo imaging, right? Yeah. So uh, we're gonna get into this with vocals. Vocals is very interesting. I think also us any sort of instrumentation, instrumental or vocal with depth sounds significantly more expensive. I was yeah. talking to a manager in A and R this last week about uh, higher level mixing. Um, and some, a lot of times like the A&R, what they want is for the record to sound expensive. They want, the manager wants the artist to sound like it spent, they spent a lot of money in the studio. How do you get that sound? What is that expensive sound? Um, I don't know if there is a direct answer, but we're going to try our very best in this episode to describe it to you. Oh yeah. Um, and we're going to kind of get you thinking about different aspects of the vocal that you should be aware about. One of the things that we should first talk about is dynamics. Mm-hmm. Lou, do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about dynamics of vocals? Sure. It's my favorite thing. It's what makes a baritone, a baritone and a falsetto, a falsetto. Um, think about like, if you're doing like an acapella group, um, I don't know if you ever heard Wait, the song. Wait, hold on. I want, to, I want you to explain the baritone of baritone. No, exactly. Uh, you ever heard the song Daddy's Home? Well, there's a cover by... No, that's hilarious. Though. Yeah. Daddy's Home. Doom, Go ahead. Doom, doom. Go ahead. Daddy's... Well, it's uh, basically <laughs> multiple vocals going on. The baritone is kind of almost like... Uh, the the bass slash percussiony kind of style vocal where like you can hear his throat and it sounds deep and resonant but it's also very very percussive and like punchy like something about that low really punched through the mix on that song uh if you ever want to hear the reference spanish fly daddy's home it's really hard to find but it's a really good cover 
Um, but then you actually hear like the main singer come in and he's got this soft falsetto voice, but there's not a lot of dynamics to it. So he sounds almost angelic, just kind of floating around that baritone, but the baritone is like kind of hitting you in that low note, but he's kind of compressed on the upper mid. So he sits behind the lead without having to punch right through the lead. Like when I think about depth and dynamics, um, in vocals, kind of understanding the role of each vocal, the baritone was more meant to be kind of felt versus kind of being heard as a lead, but he needed to be up there in front with the lead. So choosing to leave the low resonant part very dynamic and punchy while kind of compressing the upper mids of it, that way the lead vocalist could stand out in front of it without having to be too dynamic with a softer voice. That's a nice depth of field that you only get out of those two vocals. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't think of that. Think yeah. of that. That's cool. Yeah, um, dynamics is a huge part. That's typically a big part of your front-to-back depth within any sort of instrumentation. Um, or, again, main lead vocal, background vocals. Dynamics are super-duper important. Um, dynamics being captured in the recording stage is really important, too. I've, I remember being told... You can, you can, in the early stages of my career, maybe when I was even an artist, you know, an engineer or a professor, somebody said, told me, you can play, I can turn the volume of the drums down, but if you don't play aggressively, it's not going to sound aggressive. I can turn the, I mean, I can turn the volume of the drums up, but if you don't play aggressive, it's not going to sound aggressive. Yep. And uh, so it's got to, you got to first off play, the dynamics do have tone and timbre to things. So yep. when an artist is yelling, um, you have to control it, you know, you don't want them to peak and clip the signal or whatever, but that's going to give a lot of dimension to the vocal as well from a performance aspect. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. There's a dynamic aspect and a performance aspect. Yeah. I mean, think about, about groups too. like Linkin Park, uh, Chester Bennington was a really good example of this for me this weekend. Cause I was listening to, I think it was like a glass castle i forget what the record was called but in the chorus he sings a line just saying like i'm just a crack in the glass uh, in this castle made of glass um but the whole way through it you can hear how his vocal is kind of present and forward but everything is uh, feels like it's behind him and kind of like dynamically like just floating around him like but he sounds center and forward but he himself, as he sang, sounded really compressed in a way that was just kind of like natural, if that makes sense. Like you didn't hear any pumping or anything, but you could tell that as he got louder, he didn't actually get louder, but everything around him got louder. So like his vocal, though, it was kind of one dimensional dynamically. It kind of made it to where the rest of the instrumentation around him sounded very three dimensional. And he kind of just stood in the middle as everything evolved around him. So like sometimes that, you know, dynamics that we talk about in the performance and in the mix of the vocal and everything. It's kind of like, well, how do you want to play that vocals placement? Do you want it constantly forward? Or yeah. would you like it deeper in the mix and have it like quieter and they kind of poke out with some ad libs? You know, how yeah. do you want to place them? Yeah. You, you know what? You're, you're hitting a point here. I'm thinking about it because in the opposite sense, I'm thinking of like a very flat vocal is hyper compressed. Mm -hmm. I've rarely ever heard a vocal that was under compressed that I felt was very flat, like from a dynamic perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I mean, a dynamic vocal is problematic and can be problematic. Yeah. But if you over compress the vocal, it becomes very flat. Yeah. And the performance changes because of it. So I'm wondering, maybe could we make the make a thought and say that um, a vocal with lots of dimension 
has some natural dynamics to it. Oh, yeah. Um, and one way to create natural dynamics is instead of hyper-compressing a vocal to get even volume, but rather to throw in some automation. Automation will never be perfect and never hyper-calculated. Yeah. So um, it's a great way to get that even level of volume without, um, without crushing or changing the tone of a vocal. No. Keep dimension. I know, um, for example, Leslie Brathway, he spends like almost an entire half or quarter of the mix just automating the vocal twice. He does it twice. He does it once and then he goes through with the, he does it once with the volume tool and then he does it again with the volume trim and does mm. a second pass. Okay. It's really interesting. And that's what he spends most of his time doing. Um, so, volume automation, figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, especially like for like long football notes where a singer is like, like very um, slow, dramatic songs where they like mm-hmm. hold out extended notes. That's very easy to over compress. Yeah. Very yeah. easy to vocal compress. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, something along that line as well. I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Dimension with dynamics. So leave your vocals slightly dynamic. Maybe compensate a little bit with some automation. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid to compress. Just don't over-compress. If you want like a little more compression, consider Parallel. Uh, parallel is a good use for like these slower ballad songs because, yeah, you can still over-pump in it. But if you do like a nice like 200 hertz roll-off on the detector. Upwards compression as well, just in yeah. general. Yeah, just something to lift the bottom half of it where you're like, okay, well, I want to feel dynamic, but when they get quiet, they're a little too quiet. You also, know, just also, pushing those lows a little up. Also, to be fair, um, a lot of overcrushing a vocal is just bad attack and release settings too. Yeah. So like I've heard I've heard great compressed vocals that had um how do I say thoughtful attack and release settings Yeah, yeah. where they were able to compress a lot and maintain the integrity of the original source material. And I've also heard uh, vocals where they probably just threw it through a CL1B that was in the studio that just like didn't, they didn't even touch the attack. And you heard the pump. Yeah. And you hear it squish. You really hear it squish. Yeah. There's no secret to, there's no real calculatable way for attack and release, I mean, you could be like, release time should reflect the BPM of the song. I don't, I don't think, I think that's all bullshit. I think you gotta yeah. just, it's one of those things that you have to, oh my goodness, this is, you're gonna have to feel it out. You're gonna have to oh, listen for uh, it. You oh said my it. goodness. You said it. There's, oh, it's, you're just gonna yeah. have to use your brain. And Are you telling me to use my an, ears? Oh my gosh. Have an opinion, damn it. That's like, honest. that's all. <laughs> it's okay to have an opinion. Um, you're being paid to have an opinion. Yeah. To be honest, nine times out of ten, when you're getting paid to mix, uh, you know, most people that are getting paid to mix are getting hired by other people who, at the very least, have some fundamental idea of what they're listening for. So, chances are, it's your taste that you they hired you for, not not much else. You know, if everybody had a CL1B, then the only defining factor is your taste. There you go. No, yeah. I, we can do a whole episode about that. In fact, we should do an episode about that. Yeah. The importance of taste. Um, but uh, number two, let's go into uh, with. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting. Um, in America, in the North America, the culture of vocals is for vocals to just go straight up the middle, mono, and on, the only part of the with is usually background vocals and reverbs and delays. Usually the lead vocal is mono and just straight up the middle, middle, yeah. typically speaking. Um. 
Now, I've heard French mixers do the exact opposite, where it's like super wide. They've got like an imager type thing. Uh, like yeah, I've, I've, I've listened You've to a couple that. songs and I'm like, this sounds it's interesting. Cool. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. Um, but Dimension, I think with all of these things, including Dynamics and Dimension as well, mm-hmm. I think it's nice to preface and say contrast is what makes it feel good. So like mm-hmm. if you have lots of width the entire time, there's not enough contrast for you to recognize that there's a ton of width to go yeah. on. Doesn't I feel I feel like it sounds more expensive when you let things collapse and mm-hmm. then expand. Same thing with like dynamics. Like there's loud sections and quiet sections. Yeah. That's gonna the contrast is what's gonna make it feel really dynamic. The contrast is what's gonna make it feel really wide. Yeah, kind of like having like the lead vocal if there's a lot of backings or maybe it's completely surrounded in backings during the chorus, like just dip the lead down a little bit. That way there's some contrast between the actual verse and the chorus because naturally if you just add all the backing vocals the vocals just get louder cool but sometimes you want it to just feel a little bit even to the verse vocal so dipping down the lead a little bit during the chorus actually makes the lead vocal during the verse stand out a little more than it did before there you go you know versus sounding like a, a static volume for lead yeah, I do that every once in a while. Yeah. Where I blend the the lead in with the background vocals during the chorus and kind of bring it back out. Yeah. Or I just turn up the verses with it, whichever. You know, but uh, that doesn't work for every song because some some songs, a lot of songs need like yeah. a very strong mid or lead in um in the chorus, right? Yeah. But yeah, use Typically the background works on, like, vocals. Ballads. Yeah, use yeah. the background vocals. Another thing too, it's like. You can automate the panning of the background vocals and and yeah. have it be less wide in the verses and then be hyper wide. Um, same thing with effects. You can have the reverb explode in the chorus mm-hmm. and have it be more subtle and maybe even use like an imager of some kind. Like I've never done this before, but I'm thinking like right now, this would be a cool idea. Like have a thinner as in like with spectrum, like um, use like a widener, like isotope imager and like yeah. make it slightly more mono during the verses and automate it and then have it be slightly wider than wider than 100%. So something that I do a lot is I use the K-Stereo plugin from UAD. Mm-hmm. And I automate the side. S1 Imager from Waves has it as well. I yeah. mean, Isotope Imager is free. Yeah. The K-Stereo, I think I had to buy. I don't think it yeah, comes I, with I the UAD stuff. Free. No, I know it has like one or two precision things, but I don't think that's one of them. Yeah, I yeah. like the K-Stereo Imager. Anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, you said you automate the sides. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, mid-side Matrix by... Um, center with Waves is mid and side channel splitter as well. And mid-side Matrix from... Um, Oh my goodness! From Good Hertz, Good Hertz mm. is also free. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and so that that has two two uh, knobs or not knobs, but two controls for mid and side signal. You can <laughs> boost in boost or lower the sides or the mids or whatever. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, boost honestly, it helps. But um, if you do too much, it becomes very obvious. It's one of those like if you do one decibel, it becomes somewhat obvious depending on the density of the song. So I will say that I rarely ever automate the side and mid channel. Like I rarely ever do mid side processing. That's a very rare thing for me. Um, but I will create contrast practically by just removing reverb. Like I yeah. love moments of dry. Just yeah. like just literally less than a bar even. Like two quarter beats. Yeah. Um, potentially. Uh, especially like uh, this happens a lot. The most common thing is like if you have like a big swelling pre-chorus where it's like building 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 and then, go and then you want the dry. chorus to really drop what i'll do is i'll swell that reverb i might even automate that reverb to go more 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 and then i'll automate the volume of the reverb to cut off during that like one beat of silence right before the main drop it might be a full bar but like up to a four bar of silence so it's like really dry 
and then you hear the vocal do like nah, 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 and then nah, boof, boof, and you can hear the vocal come yeah. back in and it's like super wet and it explodes. Yeah, I like to do that. That's like a pretty um typical thing. Um just in general as well, like turning down the reverbs and turning it back up. That's set simple. It doesn't require any yeah. sort of mid-side uh, or imaging. Um honestly, uh the I think use that's of that's actually a very uh like just you should be doing that. A, that's like that's it is, but it's also yeah. something you should actively think about, even if you're not trying to do it. Uh, for instance, like if you were talking depth, and there's just a bed of reverb that's constant, that'll make it sound cheap. Unchanging, yeah. unchanging, unchanging bed of reverb. Bed, yeah, uh, because a lot of times it's like, well, there's just this constant noise in the background that doesn't actually act as like a depth thing. If your reverb is just a, a static blanket of sound, that it's not really a reverb. It's just something that exists in the background. Because of that, like people will leave static reverbs on a lot of their vocals, the backing vocals, lead vocals, doubles, and that static reverb is now just like this bed of sound that people are like, can I get more reverb on my vocal? And now you're adding too much reverb to the mix instead of just drying out some of the tracks and adding some you know depth into it by having a little more dimension by just once again not leaving all your effects so static i, I honestly now that i think about it that's probably like a depth killer right there no it definitely is yeah definitely is um i think going back to what we we're talking about before where all of this is meant to make a mix sound more expensive right yeah <coughs> excuse me <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. And um, I do think um, the thing about depth as well is also that makes it sound cheap. So if you have uh, a blanket delay, a blanket reverb, just something there, just because you put it there, I think it sounds really cheap. Yeah. It sounds really cheap. And if you want to make it sound expensive, you have to add contrast. Contrast is going to be a big big deal about sound um, making making vocals or any track, any part of the mix sound expensive. You have to have contrast. And we've talked about dynamic contrast, um, and we've also talked about uh, width and contract within width. I do think that like a, a blanket delay, a blanket reverb is is one of the surefire ways to have a cheap sounding mix. That being said, I literally did a very important mix this last week where the original artist who was being signed to some majors, um, he... Uh, he he has a choice, just did a blanket delay, and I wasn't going to submit a mix that was diff- super different from his. <laughs> and uh, both the A&R, so I did a blanket delay because that's what was in his rough mix, and the A&R accepted it, and uh, <laughs> the artist accepted it as well. Um, I did, I actually did automate that delay and cut it out during the pre-chorus, Oh no, I did a little bit of automation, but it was mostly just like really echoey delay with slight volume boost during the chorus when it was open. Anyway, um, yeah, never mind. That was a bad example because I actually did end up automating a little bit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's 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 some, one of those things where it's really easy to avoid by just taking the time to automate your reverbs and vocals. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly speaking, like when we talk about like depth with and all that effects usually play a role in that um but also like the way you filter the effects can actually help out and that's kind of more on the vertical side of things normally when we talk about like frequencies um 
but there's something to be said about like, okay, you could take the same delay and put three different filters on it. You could put a, like a, a low band filter, a mid band filter, and a top band filter, and they would place very differently in the mix. Like a top band filter doesn't have to be as loud for you to hear it. And because of that, it could be like the little ear candy for like little one shot throws and all that kind of stuff. Um, a mid filter is kind of cool for like a bedding kind of thing where like it's supposed to be like an echoey section. Mm. Um, and they kind of just want like sustained delays throughout like maybe a uh, four bar phrase. Right. Mm. Um, and then low band delays is actually really cool for like kind of like you're trying to be obvious with it like you want it to be heard but you don't want to Are be you talking about the these lead. bands by the way you're talking about like, like frequency frequencies. ranges so like you filter out the top yeah you filter out the top and bottom okay interesting. yeah so like if you think about like radio style delay echo throws and all that it's usually upper mids it's usually not lower mids uh, but lower mid ones tend to be a little bit louder in the mix and pronounced so like a lot of people will do them like when there's like an open spot so it doesn't stand out so much but it also is like an audible thing yeah, because lower mids yeah. don't cut through a mix as easily as upper mids Exactly. Do. So you find them in a lot of dead spots in songs, but you find in very busy songs like upper mid delays, and they tend to be like panned out pretty wide because it's supposed to be that ear candy. We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio. Based out of Berlin, Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers. And to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment they're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show. You know, but like all these different things, like uh, the song Break Up With Your Boyfriend? Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande. I don't know if that's the name of the song, but Break I remember. Break up with your boyfriend. Because I'm bored. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I can't sing for shit, so I'm sorry, y'all. You heard, you just heard that. Um, but um, I really like the way they did the delays, the reverbs and everything. Break up with your girlfriend. Girlfriend? Break up with your girlfriend. Cause I'm bored, not boyfriend. Okay, now the music. Okay, My I'm not bad. gonna lie. You know My how I bad. heard this song? I'm just, I'm just thinking about that. I was like, wait, why is she breaking up with? Why does she want her to break up with her? Boyfriend, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, no, hold on. Yeah, know. it's girlfriend. It's girlfriend. I don't know. Uh, like, I'll be honest. I'm not a Ariana Grande hater. I just don't listen to her. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like, she's I heard that song. Like, this I mean, talk about fantastic good. singers, man. She's, no, she's she's, a, she's great. One of the best. But it's just like when you have a music radar full of like banda music, then suddenly metal, then suddenly like old school R and B, then suddenly back to metal. Like Ariana Grande is not a very popular like addition on playlist recommendations on title for me. Uh, she doesn't pop up much, but that song popped up, and I was like, I really like the vocal mixing on this. Like, and part of it was just that you can hear the emotional differences, and that was kind of creating the depth of field on her vocals. 
Like, she had a lot of vocals going on. There was a lot of stacks going on in that song. But the way they were using them, how, like, some of the doubles were just, like, barely panned to the side, and they were very quiet. But, like, if you paid attention, you heard them, and they emotionally translated better on that line. But then they would, like, take out the last line and dry her out for that one line. And her her mixes are incredibly interesting. Uh, good case study to begin with, because they're also, from a general tonal balance perspective, also very... Um, non-traditional from a pop sense, very bright and very yeah. deep with very little mid-range. Um, that's an interesting case study to talk about as well. Uh, we could talk, I'm going to add a fourth, bringing up Ariana Grande, I'm going to bring up a fourth thing for vocal, making a vocal sound expensive, you know, um, but let's go into the the third aspect, which is height, which is not a very good use of the term. We use height for frequency spectrum from like top end vertical. to bottom end. You know, no, but I mean, like I've never listened to low end and been like, that's coming from the floor. But I've never you, listened to top end and been like, that's coming from the ceiling. Have you ever like put on headphones and just listened to a song and just like, honestly, in a non, uh, uh, like analytical way, like very just enjoying a song. And because of that, like you just close your eyes and you kind of feel like something was above something. No, no. I'm I'm telling you right now. No, not unless it was Atmos. Mm. I, I don't know. That. Maybe it's. I guess it's a listener's perspective at that point. Yeah, I've never. Felt, I've never about, felt. Like, the only time I felt like, oh my gosh, the top end is coming from the top, is when I'm standing in front of like a seven foot tall speaker stack with the tweeter or horn on uh, literally above my head mm. and the subwoofer literally beneath me. That's the only yeah. time. That's the only time. Yeah, and but, at that point, I could see like as the spectrum I can, moves downward, I can, you can you can he- visually hear if that makes sense. I can literally <laughs> hear the crossovers. That's yeah. that's yeah. what I'm hearing yeah. up to down. <laughs> It's like, wow, that's crossing over at like 400 hertz. <laughs> I like the vocals feeling way up there. <laughs> yeah, wow, that, wow, this this horn's going low. It's it's crossing over 2,500 hertz. That's crazy. Yeah. No, um, but uh, I think uh, that, yeah, I don't know why we use that, but we that's like a pretty common thing that we use that for. I personally, yeah. maybe there's someone out there that does hear that way. It sounds like you hear it that way sometimes, but for me, I've never felt that way. I've never heard that way. Um, but I do think that either way, uh, tonal balance or use of the entire frequency spectrum is another way to give dimension to vocals Mm -hmm. as well as, um, giving, uh, making a song or vocal sound more expensive. Now, this is interesting that we're also need to get into, we've talked many times on the show about genre cultures, Mm -hmm. um, and what's acceptable for a pop song, a rock song, a hip hop song, an EDM track. This goes into dynamics as well. All of these things, uh, width and dynamics, these are all genre cultures as well. For example, if you want, you can make a record sound like a vintage 80s Motown record by by um, doing a bunch of different things, messing with the frequency spectrum, the dynamics, the harmonics, um, even the width. You know, you can make a sound potentially like a Beatles song by putting the drums to the left. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, but the point is, um, there is a such thing as like modern vintage and eras as well, era genre, era cultures. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of different things to think about. So there's not a one size fits all. There's not one secret vocal texture, texture or frequency range that is going to reign supreme. Um, and, and right now, Lou, we, we're thinking out loud. I, don't, I didn't come prepared with an answer here. But what do you, what kind of um what kind of a vocal sounds expensive that uses a frequency spectrum appropriately or like how do you add dimension to a vocal by proper use of a frequency spectrum 
I'm thinking. I'm thinking like first. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm thinking it's two layered. I think it's where the vocal is dynamic. So a lot of times we see vocals kind of like in that 700 to like 1.5 range where like they kind of are a little bit more compressed in that mid because it's very easy for that mid to pop out a little bit. But how much space surrounds that area for the vocal to exist in, whether it's dynamic or not. You know, what I mean, I think part of what makes a vocal sound expensive is that it sounds like when the vocal comes in and out, it didn't take space and it didn't leave an empty hole in the mix. Does that make sense? Like the vocal's presence is natural even when it's not there. Yeah, this is this is super interesting. Um, also, I mean, we could talk about the opposite of that, like super high resonances. So like if you leave resonance in the vocal, like and you cut it out with a filter, if you do too many notches or oh, too you many kill the deep, life out of something. Yeah, yeah, too many deep. If you kill too many resonances, it, it just it just dies. The life of it disappears. I mean, it sounds starts to sound really hollow and cheap. Hollow is the opposite of expensive. If I, if I hear a vocal that I describe as hollow, that means it sounds probably very cheap. Um, I would say, first off, maybe we start it like this. Mm-hmm. With a vocal in general, mm-hmm. um, if a vocalist sounds like they're right in front of you, it's going to sound more natural. It's going to sound more expensive. Yeah. And some microphones, some, and the saturation with the preamp and the microphone or whatever, the distortion that is caused by the capsule or the signal chain is going to be harder to manipulate. It's going to be less malleable. This is why expensive microphones sound have a much better top end, typically. Top end is the first thing that goes away with cheaper gear. Um, And the top end doesn't sound bad until you start EQing it. That's when it starts to sound bad. It's very... uh, yeah, like it's not malleable. It's brittle. It breaks quickly and it can kill the life of a song if you do too much. Yeah, A great microphone, you can do tons of EQ, tons of manipulation with compression, whatever, mm-hmm. and it's going to sound better. Um, again, a, a very simple test is a nicer microphone is going to have less sibilance issues. A yeah. cheap microphone is going to have tons of sibilance issues. And that's very interesting because that's typically a distortion thing too. That's it's not just the S's. It's the S's are distorting very subtly. Yeah. So it's hard to manipulate. It's hard to get rid of distortion. Yeah. And that's one of those things where, like, everybody always complains about the concept of, like, oh, you shouldn't have to necessarily fix it in post. But it's also kind of one of the tall tale signs of, like, when people receive mixes uh, to work on and everything or songs to master, when you hear the vocals and you're like, this sounds like it was a cheaper mic because of how much work has either been put into it or how much work is going to have to be put into it just to get it to a usable standpoint to make it sound expensive. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's not to say that you should be spending a ton of money. There's plenty of mics that we've used that are pretty cheap that actually sound good. And we've seen tons of records where they go big and they were used on a cheap mic. But there's a reason why everybody kind of like faults to like 251s and things of that nature. Or even like I've seen vocals that are recorded on Royer 121s and people are like, well, it's because I can do so much with it that if it wasn't the flavor then and it sounded good then, but we kind of added production and now it needs a little more top. It needs a little more this. It's a little bit more workable in the process. It's not that you have to fix it in post or have to have something that's more acceptable to fixing it in post. It's just that certain things once they're there you can't fix it yeah yeah so like resonances that occur through let's say a small booth oh those 500 to like 800 hertz like resonances in a small booth 
Yeah. Trying to take out too much of it, then you take out a lot of the presence of the vocal. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, frequency spectrum, let's go for balanced, mm-hmm. appropriate to the genre, um, and natural. Mm-hmm. I think those are the things that make a vocal sound very expensive. It's very interesting because uh, actually the natural thing is depends on the genre too because um, any sort of Michael Jackson or rap or R&B type, modern rap and R&B trap stuff, it's like, it's got to be larger than life too. Like yeah. If it's too natural, natural is very subjective in the sense that like, um, it's very bright, but it fits naturally. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it's a very non-natural, bright, over-hyped vocal. It's it's a well-processed sound. There you go. Or yeah, it doesn't sound like you've processed it a ton in context with everything else. One of my old college teachers told me, um, "You know, you've done too much when you can hear it," and yeah. that that confused me a lot at the beginning stage. I'm not going to lie. I was I was at PCC 18 years old and I'm like Pasadena Community College. Oh yeah. Not Polynesian Cultural Center. <laughs> no, Polynesian Cultural Center. Oh, no. you're at the Polynesian Cultural yeah, Center. Yeah, that's where I went to college. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, um but uh yeah, he he was one of the uh, engineers for Britney Spears and then when he retired he went to go work at Pasadena. Um kind of a funny transition now that I think about it out loud, but yeah, he, he had his credits and his plaques. Um, but, um, nonetheless he did mention, he, uh, cause I asked him like, how do you know, um, what the right amount is? You know, very beginner question. And he said, he's like, the moment you can tell that it's on. And I thought, okay, well I could tell that I turned on the EQ. So is that too much EQ? Like, what does that mean? But at a certain point you kind of learn, it's like, when you can hear processing, you can hear when something just doesn't sound natural. You throw a bunch of chorus on a vocal, you could tell there's chorus on the as vocal. As long as you maintain that objectivity, right? Exactly. Like if you take a break and you come back and you're like, oh yeah, this sounds fine. It's probably yeah. fine. But if it's like overly bright in a way where it's like, it's very sibilant vocal. I've never talked to somebody naturally and heard this much sibilance. Like that's probably too sibilant of a vocal at that point. I'm just thinking of like Tory Lanez, just like super take your head off Ooh, bright. But yeah. there is it a sounds difference. like an Audio Technica AT twenty twenty to to the vocal chain is like what it sounds like. Well, well, there's a difference between because like Tory Lanez is super bright but smooth, right? Versus Money on the Grave with Drake and Rick Ross mixed by Forty. That that those vocals sound. Money in the Grave is like the worst sounding vocals I've ever heard. Like very, very bad. But they're just as bright and maybe even brighter than Tory Lanez. I got that. But one there's a difference. A reference and I and didn't they're know probably what to do. the same mic. They're probably the same Sony C eight hundred G. Yeah. But you can tell that Money in the Grave is way over processed. Yeah. Is way over processed. And the funny and thing just, is a lot of people so don't bad. know, but the Sony C eight hundred G comes pre processed. Because it was a mic developed to sound good on tape, and we don't use tape anymore. We don't have that low mid buildup. But you know, well, hold if, on. Let's 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 just just for semantics here, pre-process. There's no EQ in the mic, but it's it's built to be bright. It's built to be bright and has a dip at 500 hertz naturally. Uh, it was actually. Built. That's not not by an EQ, but by the actual building of the microphone. Like, yeah, that's how exactly. It's it was manufactured to sound a specific way so that it yeah. could combat the issues of tape. 
um, which is literally its design idea. Sony spared no expense. Literally, that's that's their documented quote from themselves. They're like, we did not say no to the budget in the development of this microphone. Like they had spent millions developing one mic and that's kind of like their holy grail, their claim to fame. Um, but with that said, it's still a good mic. Um, but it's just, um, it was for, you know, 20, 30 year old technology. Yeah. That's super interesting. That, that is something that Japanese Sony would do. They would take something invented by Americans and try to make it better. But say that's well, so interesting. I don't they, even as a like even though I'm Japanese and I know yeah. Japanese music, they prefer lots of top end. Very like they want the music to sound like it's coming out of NS10s with very little bass, you know. <laughs> but um, even then, I'm not a huge huge fan of the Sony C800. I'm anyway, not gonna lie, I've never associated the no bass thing. But right now that I'm thinking about like my favorite Japanese band, I'm like, yeah, you know what that that, that translates that that translates. Yeah. Um. Again, like <laughs> also. Not just era cultures and genre cultures, but also um, geographic cultures. Yeah. Japanese music versus American music versus German music versus French music versus Kenyan music. You know, it's going to all sound different. Um, Anyway, uh, we're going to get into uh, uh, the last thing that I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. that makes a vocal sound cheap is not tuning it. Oh, yeah. If your vocals are off key, it instantly sounds cheap. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say um, you can be a natural. It's not a dimension thing. I don't know. Is it? Do you think tuning goes? Hey, not really. I, I believe not. it does in in the way that I approach my mix. Uh, so I tune my reverbs, and I tune my delays. I do too. I put well sometimes if the tuning is not good, I'll put like an auto tune before on the insert before the delay. So it's yeah. like. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes so sense. So I'll do that for my throw verbs and my throw delays. Um, that way, at least the sustained information for sure is tuned. Oh yeah. Um, because if everything else is in tune and you're the only thing that's not, but you're slightly out, we can call it a creative difference. Yeah, this you know? is this is something that I'm going to call people out on right now. If you are not a singer, which by the way is totally okay. Yeah. But if you're not a singer. You should pay someone else to tune your vocals. Yeah. Because if you're not good enough at singing to recognize what's in tune while you're singing, you're probably not good enough <laughs> to, not to tune enough. your own vocals. Yeah. Now, I'm, mm, there's, I'm probably going to piss a couple people off, but I'm going to generalize here. I'm going to generalize here. If you are not a good singer, you're not very good at music, and you don't know how to read, or maybe not read notes necessarily, but if you, if you are not... If you're not very confident about being able to tell what's on pitch, if you can't sing harmonies, yep. I would say like things like that. If you're not able to pick up, if you don't have the ear for it, you should probably hire someone else. Yeah. <laughs> because it is really easy. And the, the reason this is not a dimension thing. This is the fourth thing we talked about making vocal sound expensive. This is the thing. This is the easiest thing to make a vocal sound cheap is by lack of tuning. And this also goes from like songwriting too. Like I listened to a rap song the other day where it's like a local artist and like he just stayed on the same note for the entire time and just didn't leave this note for you. He just rapped this note about that. And it's like the lack of contrast of notes even yeah. made it sound cheap. I actually... Um... I won't name the artist because it is a known artist, but I once did get hired to engineer a session and the artist just cut everything in that same notion of like everything on one. Me and the producer look at each other. He's like, yeah, let's pull up Melodyne. I was like, you want to Melodyne the one note? He's like, no, we need to create the performance now. Yeah, And I literally had to Melodyne the notation into place. Like he would sing me the melody and I'd be like, okay, cool. And after we were done with it, like even then you cannot, 
recreate somebody's performance by just altering the pitch. You could definitely tell we ended up scrapping the session. Dang. Yeah, yeah. and like there's a lot of rappers and like good songs out there that are pretty monotone, but they switch it up every once in a while. Like you'll hear Tory Lanez going like da 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 you know, that's that's not. But the point is like the point is tune your vocals. If you're a good singer, then auto-tune is all you need. I'm gonna tell you right now, personally, this is a personal preference. Now I'm not saying that this is objectively right, but I don't fuck with flex tune. I don't fuck with flex tune. Flex tune basically allows you to move from zero like exact center of pitch so it's like allows you to stay how many ever cents above the center of the pitch mm-hmm. so if you have like 10 on flex tune it'll be like 10 cents up and down below the center of the pitch i don't fuck with oh flex-tune. okay i was like thinking like flex tune uh on auto tune on auto tune on auto tune cuz i think that's what uh logic's uh, thing is called or is that or their oh, vocal tuning thing oh, it's yeah, their yeah. ara thing i think I could be uh, wrong, yeah, but no, yeah. you're right. You're right. Like flex pitch or something like flex that. Flex pitch. That's no, what I'm, I'm talking about. The flex tune. Okay. The flex tune. Uh, the auto tune. Flex tune. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On auto tune. Um, I'll be yeah. honest. It. I know what you're talking about on that, but oh, there's right. times where I need it for one reason. When I'm working with a vocalist that is like, granted, I don't typically work on songs that would need it. Yeah. And I'm not working on a folk song. Once in a while, you get that R&B singer that like likes to bend R&B into song. other things. And that little bit of flex tune allows for that bend to feel a little more natural. But it only really works if the singer knows how to sing by default. Like, it, flex tune sucks with bad vocalists. So, here it is. The point is, tune your vocals. God damn it, tune your fucking vocals. It's it's like yeah. It's like the lowest hanging fruit. And I don't know why, but I've heard way too many vocals where it's just like, yo. You ever hear, and this is where we'll get back to the whole idea of depth and why tuning matters. Aside from tuning your reverbs and delays and all that kind of stuff, um, have you ever listened to a harmony stack that's perfectly in tune? You could turn it up, you could turn it down, you could really play with the with the amplitude and its and its uh, placement in the mix a lot easier than you can with backing vocals that are kind of out of tune. You can hear that like dissonance going on, and you're just like, I kind of want to keep this in the back because even though it's quiet, that off note that each one is singing at a different spot in that harmony stack is really distracting. And because it's so distracting, it feels like it's in front, even if I make it quiet. Mm. You know, even if they sing it softly and we made it quiet, if it's the, if the note's off, it stands out in a way that your ear does pick up and it becomes distracting. So tuning your vocals can actually help you with your field of depth because it becomes less distracting. It's something that can be used as a pillow or it could be up front. But it won't be something that completely takes your attention away from the lead vocal. Amen. Yeah, yeah. so um, tune your vocals. Take your time to do that. Honestly, it's super duper easy. And let's talk about it from a mixing perspective, too. As a mixer, um, first off, it's not typically the mixer's job to tune the vocals. No. I mean, it's a nice bonus if you can, yeah. but it's not typically the mixer's job. The vocals should be tuned before it gets to the mixer. Um, but I'm talking to the people that are recording themselves, recording, even recording engineers. Like, as a recording engineer, I've never met an artist that didn't appreciate some sort of direct feedback in the booth while in the booth about tuning. Yeah. Hey, can we just try that again? That, that was an, let's, let's just try to get a little closer to the pitch. You know, whatever, whatever comment it takes to just do it again, even if you don't mention that it was out of tune, just get, waiting till you get the right recording. That's what makes a great recording engineer. Yeah especially more so at a higher level. So 
Take the time to get good recordings. Practice the songs. If you're a singer yourself or the artist yourself, fucking practice. And uh, before you record, uh, do not settle. Like, I mean, I'm a full-on believer of just doing your best and just shipping the work. Like, just mm-hmm. get it done. Don't overthink it. And just move on to the next project. That's a great way. But as far as cutting vocals, I'm not saying that you need to get super nitty gritty and super picky to the point where you're no longer confident about your own work. But I'm saying that you should have a decent amount of expectation for your own quality of work. And one of those things is the tuning of the vocals. Mm -hmm. Like you should. You should. That's one of the things that you should stress a little bit about. (laughs) Yeah. You should stress a little bit about. Um, And then more... Tuning as well, I think, is actually secondary to emotion of a vocal. Um, I think that you can actually even be a little bit out of tune. But if it's a sad song, I better hear your fucking tears. Yeah. And if it's a happy song, I better hear you smiling. I'm not going to lie. That's my biggest... um... So with all the work that I've been doing lately, I just don't have time, period, uh, for myself. You know, but um, I've been getting people that are still asking, like, hey, are you available for recording? Hey, are you available for this, that? And I've been turning away a lot of work just due to busyness right now. So once I free up, I'll be taking on more work. But I did only accept one recording session in the last month and a half. The only reason I accepted it is because it was an artist that knew how to emote. And I knew that if I recorded it, I would really like it because I, they know how to translate emotionally into their performance. Like when they sound happy, they really sound happy in the record. When I say like, can I get a little more energy out of you? They don't just get louder. They actually have the notion of like, oh, this is what he's talking about. This is energy, yeah. you know? And I feel like that's such an important factor because um, lazily sung vocals don't sound expensive. In fact, they sound... Also Lazy. shy. First time singers, first time in a recording studio typically doesn't go well because they're embarrassed and they're shy. Yeah, you shouldn't be shy. In fact, um, you should be kind of proud that you're kind of out there. You, of- you're literally in front of somebody. You went and made this about you. Make that day about you. Like, this is all you. We're here to support you. Yeah, so um, don't be shy. Uh, emote. I mean, even like in high level vocal pedagogy or whatever the fuck they call it, vocal lessons, um, it's a lot about emoting properly. Yeah. It's a lot about crying when you need to, smiling when you're when you're singing. It's a lot about you know um, emoting, and that's primary. Second, so per- performance is primary. Secondary is tuning. If you like, you gotta have both of those at the yeah. end. And sometimes the lack of tuning makes something a little bit more sad. Yeah. Like the lazy going from sliding from one note to the other makes a song feel lazier, sadder, you yeah. know? So it's, it's all goes, there's a balance with each other. It all goes hand in hand, but tuning is really easy to do. And um, tuning can emoting be, is not easy to yeah. do, but you can figure it out. Tuning can be tied to, to performance as well. Like you if you think about like somebody that sings it and it's just a little bit flat, it feels like it has a little less energy than if you were to center that note. Yeah. You it know? also sounds cheap. It sounds like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. All right. So, um, <laughs> I'm not saying be a singer, but I'm saying be a performer. Honestly, the biggest uh, thing that I think Quincy ever said about Michael Jackson is that he wasn't the best singer he ever worked with. He was the best performer he ever Damn worked straight. with. Damn straight. Damn straight. And that, that to me has always been like a huge thing. I always tell people like, I don't really care if you sing it slightly off key. Give me the performance. I can always correct the key if you're that close. But 
at the end of the day, this is why like a lot of the groups that I listen to, a lot of the artists that I'm into, I always talk about how they emotionally translate on their records. Like Anthony Hamilton growing up, um, I talked about it on a YouTube video that I did, which is like just saying like, you know, the reason he's so good to me is that I was like a fifth grader thinking I knew anything about fucking love yeah, whatsoever. Dude, like, like what did I you know feel about heartbreak? Pain. You, you, you sympathize yeah. with the pain that you feel. You, you just hear it. And like, you know, as a kid, you're taught to understand emotion through like these nowadays, YouTube videos and all that. Barney was around. It's like, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I made somebody sad. That's not good. Like as a kid, you're, you're only taught emotions on a basic level as much as a kid can understand, but you can sense when something is good, bad, sad, whatever um and when that sense can be tapped into through a song when somebody's performance can really give you that then that's amazing then add depth to that like where the vocals resonate when he hits that low note and it just kind of rumbles the speaker a little bit when he kind of like sadly growls or whatever you call that you know um the backing vocals come in but they're really compressed and they're kind of in the back and they're very wide so it sounds like this big angelic like chorus like church singing going on in the background because he does do gospel as well um like this this concept of why is depth so important in vocals you know performance is a is a big factor in that too but like if you have a good performance and you don't give it justice of like trying to carve out depth trying to give it its own space in the mix like that performance could be lost in the mix yeah yeah absolutely so I think that's a good a good episode about dimension with vocals as well as uh, how to make a vocal sound more expensive. Yeah. Honestly, um, vocals are typically, in most songs, especially popular songs, it's vocals are typically the most important aspect in any recording. Um, <clears throat> in my mind, I would say, from a mixing perspective, I would say like vocals is like 50% of the mix. Yeah, if not more. Yeah, it's like <laughs> one on vocal the track, one <laughs> vocal track. Like you have, you could have a hundred instrumental tracks and one vocal track, and, and that vocal track is fifty percent of the mix, as far as like yeah. importance. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it might be even be more. Like sometimes I get like mixed revision notes where it's like, oh, um, guitar down during the chorus a little bit. And then on the vocal, can we like get it to do like X, Y, Z? Like the notes are always much longer on vocals because everybody pays attention to the they vocals more than they do the damn instrumentation. Straight. Damn straight. All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much for listening. We hope that you are able to get something out of this episode. Um, please, if you like this episode, please leave a five-star review on Spotify. That really helps us get discovered by more listeners. It's really free. It's really easy to do. Oh, yeah. um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please hit five stars and write a short, very short review saying these guys are awesome or whatever. And that will also boost us in the algorithm as well. We're really, really appreciative, y'all. Um, and once again, if you're interested in more technical content, we have exclusive episodes of the podcast available every week, um, Wednesdays and Thursdays. All you have to do is go to mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash exclusive. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability, 
worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.